Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, lovelies. Hello. Um, welcome to 2014. Yeah. <laughs> this Second is really confusing, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> As we mentioned in last week's episode, we have already covered the episode that you will hear next week. So Michael is now thoroughly confused by the fact that we're recording ones that are going up pretty much as soon as we've recorded them. And the one that them. goes up next week, we recorded two weeks ago. Yes. It, it makes sense in terms of being able to, to lay it all out. It but anyway, for me. We hope you all had a lovely Christmas. Mm-hmm. I am still feeling the after effects yes. of three days of Christmas lunches. But 2014 has begun. Well, it's only been two, really, so... Well, it's Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, we had three. Oh, yeah. And I'm a bit stuffed. But anyway. So today is going to be one of those little episodes that we do every year. Annual, one might say. Well, yes. <laughs> where we, we look at the presents that the people bought us that were related in some way to, to what we discuss on the show. Yeah. I'll read a couple of emails and just generally goof around. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what this show's all about, well, we, this, what, this end of year one, isn't it? There's a lot of goofery in any of them, so... There is a lot of goofery in most episodes, and this is also number one, a, cl- a special collector's episode. Oh, should this not be the epilogue to the last one? No, week? this is number one, because last week's was episode 52, Okay, maybe this so this is now a new volume, a new number one. Baggers and Borders! Okay, maybe this one's a prologue, then. Is this not a number zero? No, we don't do number zero. No, we do minus ones. Only, only bankrupt... <laughs> People with no imaginations do zero numbers. Moving on. <laughs> do you want to do? Do you want to do presents and then emails and presents then emails? So, do you want to start? Do you want to go to an email? Yeah. So we'll start with an email. It's from Chris Tyler. I don't think Chris is any relation to Rose. No. Or Sam. No. I don't think. Because Hello, Chris. All people who share the same last name must be in some way related. I think so. As I think that's the way. It as we learned from Cameron Stewart's tweets. Yes. Yeah, Cameron Stewart's an artist for DC Comics. People keep tweeting him to give him messages to Kristen Stewart yeah. because apparently him, Kristen Stewart, and Patrick Stewart are all related in some way. He, he posted the, this stack of letters because people didn't believe him, and there were quite a few letters. Uh, Chris's um, yes, Chris's subtext. No, Chris's heading. <laughs> Chris's subtext. Chris's subtext is <laughs> it's deep, dude. Subtextually, he's a very deep man. Is Mr. Chris? Um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends are why young Master Mike is a big old numpty. Well, another reason to add. <laughs> Good day, Leyland's young and old. Well, older is what he actually says before you can take a face he, he was right anyway shut up <laughs> Chris Tyler the her metal hero here to drop the science on young Mike but first I must say the latest batches of episodes have been excellent and eye opening love the courage of G.I. Joe I'm glad you boys dug what you read the properties was a huge part of my childhood like many of the regulars who listen and write in and deservedly so 
Moving on, your coverage of Marvel's Jimmy Bond, one Nick Fury, was fantastic. Come on, Andy, say that like Chris Eccleston for me. Oh, all right. Chris Eccleston was... No, he wasn't. <laughs> Nick Fury was fantastic. Was that good enough? Yeah, it was. Did that do the job? Not northern enough, but okay. Was it not northern enough? Oh, no. Lots of planets have a north. The fact that Marvel managed to take what could have been a very one-note soldier spy character and turn into one of the coolest cats in the Marvel U is a testament to the malleability of the character and the world he inhabits, all bolstered by great artists and writers. Love the Batman shows too. Lots of great stuff to read got pointed out there, and I can't wait to track it all down and enjoy. Okay, now to the reason I wrote. Are you ready? I'm ready. You are to be berated. Well, I'm sat down. Mike, I love you, kid. There's no shame in your game, and you always manage to make me look at things in a new perspective. Because I'm a crotchety old white fart that likes things the way he likes them. But sweet, innocent Mike, you don't know what Spider-Man and his amazing friends meant to me as a kid. You see, you're lucky. You've had a whole life of Deanie and Tim supplying you with fantastic, iconic versions of well-loved superhero characters. But back in my day, if I wanted my well-loved character off the page, I had the 60s cartoon and amazing friends. There's more I know, but I don't want to prattle on forever. Spider-Man has been one of the biggest influences in my life. Sorry, Mum and Dad. Let me dial you into who I am and how I came to be. You see, when an unwed 16-year-old girl is naive and lets... Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, that's, that's my personal memoirs entitled This Man, This Midget. <laughs> <laughs> that's his autobiography. Seriously now, my uncle still calls me Spidey to this day. My first words were ball and thwip. My first sentence was, my spider sense is tingling. My sister had to paint web lines on some old red wellies for me for a Christmas gift when I was three, because all I wanted old Saint Nick to leave me under the tree was Spider-Man boots. My love of science is from Peter being a nerd. A major part of my ideas about good and evil, loyalty, compassion and honour are from seeing Peter as a good kid who always tried to do the right thing, even when it sucked for him. And a major part of this foundation was... Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The show means so much to me. Let me expand. The show dropped right before I turned two years old and ran in reruns until I was about seven. It's the first memory of Spider-Man I can really complete in any fashion, specifically the intro and the episode where the Green Goblin tries to poison the water in NYC and Bobby Drake freezes it and has Angelica Jones burn out the frozen poison chunks and remove them whilst Pete tangles with Norman. You know what that taught me? Teamwork and how what gingers are. Yeah, Firestone was my first crush long before I realised that little hero was used for much more than just the bathroom. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad he said it that way, because Anya's here. <laughs> Here's the other big thing from the show. It exploded the Marvel Universe for me. When I wasn't being given Archie, Spidey, or Superman comics from my mum's best friend, this was my nerdy fix. The show taught me who everyone was, what powers they had, their real names, origins, etc. It was a primer for everything. The first exposure to the X-Men, Iron Man, Cap, Daredevil, Neymar, Doctor Doom, Ock, Kingpin, the list goes on. You can't know what that was like. You have the Wikipedia nowadays, youth is wasted on the young. I realise that the show is flawed. I watched an episode here and there for that warm feeling it gives me at the time when I could pretend to be Spidey and no one would look at me funny. It also informed how I hear so many of the characters when I read, even to this day, especially Doctor Doom. That voice is Doom for me. You can laugh at the sometimes silly plots, the apartment that was like the Batcave, and Aunt May being, well, Aunt May. But if you laugh at Aunt May's adorable dog, Ms. Lion, you have no soul! I always thought Miss Lion was kind of lame. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. I always Chris. thought Aunt May was kind of lame. I liked the cartoon well enough. I was, I think I must be about eight or ten years older than you, young Mr. Tyler, because I remember being about eight or ten years old when that show dropped. 
although maybe we just got it later over here, I don't know. And I enjoyed it, and I liked it a lot, but I did think that the Batcave stuff and Ms. Lion was kind of crap. But that's just me, you know. Even as a kid, I didn't like that, but I liked the show. I'm sorry I rambled on so much, guys, but I just wanted to get this out of my system. I figured if anyone would entertain my inane ramblings, it would be Andy. And hopefully I could educate Mike a little on a solid superhero show that was more than just 80s cartoon tripe in terms of how it affected me. Keep up the amazing work, boys. See what I did there? Until all the clunge in the UK dries up, I'll keep listening. <laughs> this is a family-friendly show! And Mike, don't ever change, baby. P.S. You think Firestar's carpet matched the drapes? Damn, she was fine. Love to show her my web shooter. Now to find my Firestar <laughs> cosplay pics. And he's, he sent us a Firestar cosplay picture. That doesn't answer the question that of whether doesn't, the carpet's... No, no, thankfully he didn't send us a picture that answers that question. But uh, I don't remember her wearing that little in the show. Maybe it's just me, you know, I don't know. Maybe anyway, a kid, you don't notice. Maybe, no, you don't. Uh, thank you, Chris. We, we appreciated your passionate defence of Spider-Man as Amazing Friends. If we ever do another Couch Potato, we will do an episode of Amazing Friends. I, I couldn't, I couldn't um, defend the Marvel cartoons I grew up watching. All the Fox Kids ones. What's wrong with the, the Spider-Man, the 90s Spider-Man ones? Still fun. The X-Men one's a little bit melodramatic now. It, 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 it is the bit. field of Marvel cartoons. Yeah, the, the X-Men one. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, okay, on to presents. Oh, I need to mention, Chris is also on Who True Freaks. Yes. Which is where I talked to. And he's just started a new podcast called Nerds on Film. Okay. Where he and a cohort... Right. I think it's Dave Atterbury do talk about films. Okay. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> There's no ambiguity to the title of the show. Mm. Is there? Okay, we're going to move on to a couple of presents. We'll do emails as we go along. The first present I got, actually was the last one I unwrapped. Yeah. But it was the first one that I asked for. Was uh, Most of these were off Angela, obviously, because she is the awesome. There's a couple here off my mum and one off my mother-in-law, but I'll mention that as we go along. The first one is, I got the, the big... Making of Return of the Jedi book by J.W. Rinsler, which is the sequel to the appropriately titled Making of Star Wars. Well, it's, it's the, the last of the quadrilogy now. Yeah, because there was a Making of the Empire Strikes Back and the Making of Indiana Jones, where yeah. they covered all three films in one book. I think these are a fantastic book. Absolutely glorious. Sorry, Michael, I just smacked him in the face. Okay. With this very, very large book. It's full of pre-production notes and, and lots of little things, pictures, post-pre... All very good stuff. So far, I've read the first couple of chapters. The original rough draft written by George Lucas on February 24th, 1981, which starts on page 21 of the book, is actually better than the film that we got. It starts off with um, Vader and the Emperor are a lot meaner to each other in this original draft. The Emperor humiliates Vader in front of all of the troops, so Vader then goes around killing them all. Killing everyone he saw. Who saw it happen, because it's absolutely fantastic. Vader is very much more of wanting to get rid of the Emperor. He's not so bothered about turning back to the light side. He wants rid of the Emperor, and that's why he wants Luke. The Emperor, in his turn, has foreseen that a Skywalker will bring about his ending, but he doesn't know which one. Seems to me the easiest thing to do, though, would just kill both of them. Yeah. It's problem solved, but... The, the other thing about this that I thought really interesting, other than the Luke Emperor Vader stuff, which is completely different, the climax of this, there are two Death Stars. Mm. The Empire has built two Death Stars. Han and Chewie tackle one, with a troop, obviously, with a fleet, not just Han and Chewie on their own. 
be a bit outmatched, wouldn't it? Well, Lando managed it. Well, Lando is attacking the other one. Yeah. Leia is down on the planet on her own, leading the troop, and Luke is obviously fighting with the Emperor. But the interesting bit here is Yoda and Ben are the with him, trying to encourage him. And I thought that was a very interesting draft. As you go through the boot, you see where the change is made and why they made those decisions. But I actually thought that would have made a much more interesting film. Darth Vader is a lot meaner. Why did they tone it down? Or have they not said? It's just as the ideas develop, they, they decided to get rid of two Death Stars because they just thought that would be too confusing cutting between each one. Yeah. You'd be like, well, which Death Star are we on now? So they eliminated well, that. That also takes away the iconicness of it. Yeah, okay. that they've got two. But I did like that there's a scene where Vader actually physically throttles somebody. Yeah. He picks up Judge Gerard and instead of force choking him, he just crushes his throat. But the thing that bugged me about that is he did that in front of Luke. Yeah. So you're kind of like, how did he switch back to the light side of the force after doing that? Maybe, but, maybe he had a sudden change of heart. That was the key to his, his redemption. Um, yeah, but it's a great, as all of those making the Star Wars books are fantastic, heartily recommended to everybody with an interest in Star Wars who thinks they actually know everything. Because you're reading these going, I didn't know that! Like, they, they've always. It sounded like Ogle from Labyrinth Because <laughs> <laughs> they've always talked about Harrison Ford only signed for a picture per picture. He didn't sign a three picture contract. Yeah. Everybody else did. And they've always made out that they killed him after Empire because he right. didn't want to come back. Yet in this, Harrison Ford coming back for Return of the Jedi was remarkably easy. Yeah. They phoned his agent. They said, we will be filming at these dates. Is Harrison interested or not? Because yeah. we need to know for writing the script. If he wasn't interested in coming back, they just, just want the kryptonite. Yeah, they just leave him in carbonite. Yeah, carbonite, yeah. not kryptonite. And he said, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> that was it. So all this Sturm and Drang about Han Solo and Harrison Ford was like, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> Simple as that. What was your first present that you wish to talk about, Michael? Uh, well, I'll stick to making of them. All right. Uh, I got off you. Off me, because I rock. The Terminator Vault, which we've, we've already discussed Vault. We have discussed Vault on the show before. This one is slightly different, though. Yeah, this to... follows the new... There is a Doctor Who one of these that I was yeah. interested in. They're much smaller. Yeah. The square instead of long... Long, thin... Uh, instead of being like the making of Star Wars Empire and Jedi books, yeah. they're now just standard hardcovers, aren't they? And instead of being um, spiral-bound, the stitched or sewn. They're just books. Yeah, they are just books. But it covers uh, the making of the first two films. The only ones that matter. The only ones. There's a, there's a look on the little legacy at the end. And there's lots of pictures. I mean, I've not read any of this yet. I've just looked at what it comes with. Does It It doesn't have any little interesting bits anymore, does it? Any ancillary material. Like the Star Wars one had posters and stickers and iron-on transfers. And the, stuff. the only things they have is there's an early painting hmm. for the original poster for the first one. There's lots of handwritten notes. What's that, the The negotiating with Christopher Reeve? For what? Don't know. Read it. John Daly negotiating with agents for Mel Gibson and Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve passed. What, for the role of the Terminator or the role of Kyle Reese? Probably Kyle Reese. Right? Oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Christopher Reeve as Kyle Reese. Superman versus Arnold. <laughs> that would have been awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, I've, I've not read any of this yet, but there are some cool drawings in it and early paintings and posters. So there are some yeah. little ancillary things. This is what I was telling you about now. Right. 
it's an old painting for the early draft of the first poster. Right, excellent. So is this still Arnold? Yeah. Oh, right, it's not recognisably Arnold. It's not recognisably anyone, is it? It's just a robot with his face peeled off. Mm. The ultimately, because originally Lance Henriksen was the Terminator. Yeah. Not Arnold. But it's, it's neat and all, it's just not as good as the other vaults. Well, I was flicking through the Doctor Who one, and I thought the same thing. There's no little freebie stuff that you got in the other ones. But we've seen, as we've talked about them, we saw that they got not as good as we went along, didn't they? Yeah. But John Connor's to... 90s hair taken up most of the book. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, I'm glad you liked it, because that was on one of your Christmas lists from the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, oh, Terminator 3, though. Terminator 3's got a good ending. I'll give him that. Terminator Salvation. Salvation's not particularly good. I don't mind the Ter- Sarah Jane... Sarah Jane Chronicles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a completely different series. Yeah. The Sarah Jane Chronicles. The Sarah Connor Chronicles, I don't mind them. Another email before we move swiftly on to what we got next. Uh, this one is from Kyle Benning. Hello, Kyle. Kyle's written to us about a number of different shows. He must have been marathoning the show, which is always good. Willpower. Too much of a good thing yeah. and all of that. <laughs> Dear too Andrew and Michael. Thing. Too much of a mediocre <laughs> Dear Andrew and Michael, I just finished episodes 42 and 43. Great episodes on some fantastic Batman stories. Thank you very much. Uh, I totally agree with you guys regarding your discussion 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 on what DC has done to Alan Scott. That point was simply a marketing ploy to sell books with shock value and make the character gay solely for being gay instead of making it organic and natural like Ellis Burnham Morrison did, as you pointed out. I like it when people agree with us. I like it when people agree with us. Um, I'm very fond of that. So yes. Regarding the new 52. Oh, speaking of which. Yes. You know what we do need to do on that regard. We need to cover how a good writer covers that. Let's do some authority. Yes. Because we've already covered Byrne doing it with um, Alpha Flight, haven't we? Because oh, we did we, a couple of Alpha Flights. We should do a comparison of the last Miller issue. The last Miller issue of... The one with the Get Married. What, compared to Ellis's writing of it, which was subtle yeah. and well done, and quite forward thinking in how it depicted a minority subculture in a comic book, yeah. as opposed to Miller's writing. In, in his first issue, had them making out... I don't mind that so much, but it's more in your face, isn't it? It's just the different approaches of those two writers. That's all it is. Ellis is actually quite intelligent and (laughs) thought-provoking, while still being able to be shocking in his own way. Whereas Miller starts from what will be shocking, what will get me what will get me column inches in the comic book press. What may even get me noted in the mainstream. Now, how do I write a story around this? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Whereas, when reading North Star and... Um, who are they in... Oh, forest, I've forgotten who they are. Oh, it's... it's Apollo. Apollo and the Midnighter. And Midnighter. Apollo and Midnighter, as written by Ellis, you actually sympathise with them a great deal. Yeah. And like them as characters. Even though you know there are only analogues for Batman and Superman. Well, I don't mind that too much. I, don't, I, I have to confess, I've only read one of Mark Miller's... Yeah, his first story arc is the last one. Yeah, arc. the first two trade paperbacks we've got. Mm, Warren Ellis only wrote 12 issues, didn't he? he yeah, the first trade paperback's all his, and the last... Uh, his last story arc is, takes up the second... half of the second trade paperback. And Miller's first ends the second trade And then we never arc. bothered buying anymore. No. So I think that tells you everything you need to know about what we thought about Matt Miller on The Authority. Yeah. <laughs> completely down on him. I think Red Sun was pretty good. Morrison and Jim Lee. 
no, no, that was Wildcats. They did one issue and it, it they didn't. They never did it. Jim Lee doesn't finish project. Yeah, shocked. They did one issue. I saw it for fifty p one time. I thought, no, I won't pick it up just yet. I'll see what else is. You should have bought it. Went back, disappeared. Oh, right, that's a shame. Um, he Morrison did do about three issues of an authority story. Did but, it finish? No, someone else finished it. Right, because Garth Ennis did an authority story as well, he didn't did the, he? The Kev. The Kev annual spin-off. Sp- yeah. Because was it a series and a couple of annuals? It was a couple of specials. I've I never think. read it, because I, I got the feeling that's Piss Take Ennis. Yeah. And I'm not as interested in Piss Take Ennis as I am Serious Ennis. Mm. I don't mind Serious Ennis doing comedy. Yeah. Certainly that, that black comedy that he's very good at. Because I was, I was flicking through Jennifer Blood... Mm. The other day, because I was like, "Do I? Does this just look like Alias?" Yeah, to me. But you are reading Velvet at the moment. Velvet's not Alias. Velvet. I've only read the first issue, but it's very good. Yeah, but Velvet I'd read is. It, but it's ripped. What is? Yeah, because the cat. <laughs> what if Miss Moneypenny was the secret agent, not James Bond? Is the premise of it? Okay. And what if she got framed for killing James Bond? Right. That's the premise. Okay. And it's really, really good. It's actually very good, the first issue. That Steve Epting's on the artwork, and he's really good. Yeah. And I always thought he was too stiff. It, it works in Velvet. Right. Like, certainly with superhero stuff, I get what you're saying. The action does, isn't as fluid yeah. as it could be. But in Velvet, it was really good. I was quite impressed with Velvet issue one. And uh, I've not got any further issues yet, but I need to read more of them because it was quite good. Anyway, moving on. Regarding the new 52 Earth 2 book, continues Kyle. I find myself enjoying the story and narrative, but hating the fact that it was being told with old JSA characters, if that makes sense. It would have served great as an Elseworld take on the old JSA Earth 2 characters. However, it was the only take on those characters available, meaning that the characters survived relatively unchanged at their core, despite multiple reboots to the DCU over 70 years, and being moved to Earth 2 to Earth 1 after Crisis, were now completely scrapped. It's not the loss of continuity, it's the loss of history. Well, that's isn't that exactly what I've been saying. I'm yeah. not bothered about continuity. Continuity changes and fluctuates and changes all the time. It's the loss of history that bugs me. I don't think you're losing history. You've not got you still, any backstory. But you still have all those issues, though. I know, but in the new stories, they won't refer back to them. And it gets to the point where, as a comics reader, suddenly I'm just reading stories that I've all been told before. Well, the problem I have is the fake history they have. Like, there is a history there, it's just made up on the spot. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, there's no organic history to it. Compare that to what Doctor Who's been doing this past couple of episodes. It's been a trilogy. The entire history of the show has come into play in the plot, in that Clara stepped into his own time for a stream... Yeah. and was therefore splintered throughout time. And it's playing off Which the fact... Which makes for some interesting rewatching. Yeah, and it also plays... <laughs> All 800 episodes, well, spot, maybe can you spot where, where that footage came from. <laughs> yeah. But it plays with the idea you don't have to know the history anything of anything you, because, because everybody knows that there were previous incarnations of the Doctor. Yeah, And that's all you need to know. So when you see John Pertwee and her drive, driving away from her in Bessie... Yeah, and her going, Doctor! You don't need to know anything about John Pertwee's run as the Doctor. Mm. But that history that the show carries with it helps in the storytelling. Yeah, And as they go forward, they can choose to ignore all that if they want to. If they want to, with Peter Capaldi, they just want to go, right, we're going to move forward and we're not going to refer to the past anymore. Which is a part of me thinks I would like now. Yeah, even, even though he's on his last regeneration again now. No, he's not. Is he not? He's got an entirely new regeneration cycle. 
I've seen a couple of confusing things about this. It, there is clearly a line of dialogue in that episode. Right. Matt Smith clearly says a complete new regeneration cycle. But they do specify that the Time Lords only gave him enough power for one regeneration. No, they don't. They do. No, they don't. Matt Smith clearly says, clearly says, line of dialogue. Go and watch that end again. He clearly says a complete new regeneration cycle. But before that... When I heard cycle, I didn't hear complete. Please. Complete new regeneration cycle. He may say a new got, regeneration cycle. Yeah, I got a regeneration cycle. But a new yeah, regeneration but cycle, another 12. another 12 regenerations. So me and your mum have both... But I've seen people saying, well, well is this only one regeneration? I too could assume it was only one. Now, I give it that it is only one line of dialogue. Yeah. And given the speed Matt Smith delivers his dialogue... It is quite... Subtitles don't help. No, it is quite hard sometimes to pick up on all the subtleties and nuance, but I clearly interpret that as he now has another 12 regenerations. He did say cycle, not just... Not just one regeneration. regeneration. Because if they did that, they're just in exactly the same place when Capaldi leaves, aren't they? Mm. And they would have to do it all again. By doing this, he's got rid of that problem for the next 20-odd years. What if he doesn't leave? What if he just goes back to Pompeii and then we pick up with David Tennant? Well, apparently... The David Tennant Lost Adventures. Apparently, there is going to be an explanation as to why the Doctor now looks like somebody that he's encountered on two previous incarnations. They didn't bother doing that for Amy, though. Why bother? Or, indeed, Colin Baker. Yeah. Who was in a Peter Davison story before he was cast as the Doctor. So, what's the point? I don't, I don't see the point either. To be honest, I, I would just ignore that. Your regular yeah. audience does not care. He's a character, not the actor. Peter Capaldi was in The Fires of Pompeii. Yeah. Do they? They don't give a rat's ass. So I think that's starting to get a bit... That's where your continuity is baggage. Yeah. Rather than the history emphasising the good of the show. Anyway, that was a Doctor Who tangent <laughs> for this week's episode. <laughs> So we'll just move. So we'll move on through that bit. Sorry, Kyle. We'll move on through the Earth Two Kyle thing because we uh, we went on to Doctor Who episodes forty five and forty six were great to listen to and hear you give Nick Fury some love and cover these two great series. I really enjoyed your commentary on both series. I think that the classic Cold War and Vietnam era takes on Nick Fury are really underrated and often overlooked and forgotten. Hopefully the show and the popularity of the Avengers movie franchise will encourage people to go back and discover these great series and take a gander at classic Nick Fury instead of the more recent Ultimate Universe Fury, who appears to be the majority of the inspiration for the Avengers movie. I also loved your Conan the Barbarian episode. You covered some great stories. I really recommend you check out Kurt Busiek Carrie Nord's run from Dark Horse, the first four collected TBs are amazing. Nord's art is the best of his career, with Dave Stewart colours directly over Nord's tight pencils. It gives the story a very barbaric yet majestic look, which is perfect stories about a barbarian destined to become king. That's in Omnibus now, isn't it? Yeah, that, that must be the Omnibus you showed me, Kurt Busiek and Carrie Nord's first four trades. Yeah. Alright. Nord and Busiek's take on the Frost Giant's daughter is particularly great, especially how they weave it into the larger story. The Savage Sword of Conan collections that Dark Horse has been releasing are awesome. Hundreds of pages of some Conan's greatest stories collected in big phone book sized editions for cheap. I'm glad to hear you've been won over by the Conan comics as they are some of my favourites. I think Roy Thomas is perhaps the greatest comics writer of all time. Ooh, that's a, that's a bold <laughs> claim, isn't it? And I hope you'll give his All-Star Squadron a try. Issues 1 through 18 plus Annual 1 have been collected in the Showcase Presents volume. I've got Annual 1. Yeah. I can Annual 1 up in the 50p bin. I will read it one day, <laughs> but I've got it. 
And also give his take on Nemo the Submariner a try as well. I really dig his take on Marvel's first mutant in the pages of Nemo's first solo title under the Marvel banner. I believe he wrote over 50 issues of the 1968 series and wrote a lot of great issues of the, Aveng- the Avengers. The Invaders, sorry, the World War II era is generally loved by us Americans. I guess that happens when it wasn't our country getting dive-bombed by the Germans. <laughs> And so we love our JSA All-Star Squadron stories starring the classic DC Golden Age heroes and Invaders, starring Cap, Namer, and the original Human Torch. Maybe those series are more of an American culture thing and won't appeal too much to two Englishmen, but I still recommend you give it a try if you haven't already. Between Thomas's work on Fantastic Four Conan and the other mentioned series, he's one of my favourite writers of all time. Really digging your show, Kyle Benning. Well, you're very welcome, Kyle. Thank you for the recommendations. When I get through all these things that Angela bought me for Christmas, I'll be looking for something new to read. Speaking of which, yeah. the next two are mammoth tomes. Mammoth. They are. You could definitely kill a vagrant with you them. You could definitely kill a number of vagrants with these. Angela got me The Golden Age of DC Comics by Paul Levitz, which covers 1935 to 1956, and The Silver Age of DC Comics, which covers 1956 to 1970, also by Paul Levitz. was that a few weeks ago? Yeah, when we were covering The Silver Age. <laughs> I don't know. Um, both of these are <laughs> new books. The the printed apparently there was a big fat book that Paul Levitz did, absolutely huge. Yeah, there was a the, that was at half price recently actually. Was it? Yeah, probably because these are coming out. Mm. Uh, they've now cut that book into five separate volumes. Oh, is this it? This is just the first volume. Right. Okay. This when all five volumes are released, that will be the big. Fat these book. Are, right, okay. But I don't know if they've added anything new or changed anything for these reissues. But they are absolutely fantastic. The best thing about them is they're not that crappy glossy. Yeah. Paper. See your stroke in the Yeah. Book, well, it's that really rough paper that yeah. when you read it, you don't have to have it angled against the light <laughs> so that you can read it properly. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic. Um. A lot of good stuff in it. It doesn't just cover the comics, it covers the serials and everything else. My favourite bits, just flicking through these so far, I haven't read any of them, mm. is that there are pages where it talks about the sell-through of the comics. I bet I can't find it now. I should have labelled it with a post-it note or something. But anyway, one of the editors, maybe Jack Burnley, has a photo stat of all the covers of the comics that year. And underneath, he has in percentage the sell-through now what it was was say they print 10 copies of a comic yeah okay the sell through was what actually sold to people so right. say you only print 10 copies of a comic 5 copies are actually sold to people that's considered 50% sell through yeah the rest of them are either destroyed in printing because there was something wrong with them or they get sent back to them because they didn't sell that kind of thing yeah so your sell through is the percentage that actually sold and uh, it must be in the Silver Age one, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Because what it is, is when the Batman TV show comes out, you've got an entire page that is Batman sales throughout the, the, the 1965 through 1966. Here it is, found it. Page 221 of the Silver Age of DC Comics. And you actually see, at the start of this particular block, sales on Batman's comics... 61 percent 70 percent 53 percent 50 percent 45 percent 40 percent 42 percent and then you get to where the tv show starts 75 percent sell through 90 percent 86 percent yeah so how much the tv show helped sales on the batman books and just for comparison you've got the flash at the same time which was selling 56 percent 67 57 percent what's interesting mm-hmm. to me 
prior to the 60s TV show, The Flash was selling better than Batman. Yeah. If you look at the early months, the Batman's in the 60s and then it drops to the 50s and the 40s, doesn't it? Mm. For quite a considerable time. The Flash never dips below 50% after the initial start of the year where you get 145%. So The Flash was selling better than Batman in the early 60s. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else would find that interesting. But when it, it does lend credence to the claims that Batman was on the cusp of cancellation. Mm. And the TV show saved its life, which is something it doesn't really get a lot of credit for when people are going, that show ruined comics! No, it didn't. It comics are still it here. It might, it might ruin comics now. No, it hasn't. It's really, it maybe had a perception of comics from people who don't read comics because of that show, but I still think the first series of that is actually a pretty damn good adaptation of late 50s, early 60s Batman comics. Yeah. I really did. It being the Nolan ones necessary, though, really. Yes, it did, because you needed something that rids that pervasive influence but over then, people. Did but then the have they not gone a little bit too on, far now yeah. with that? Yeah. I the, the perfect distillation of Batman is the animated series. I still think that. The second season onwards, that 60s TV show just gets stupid. Well, that first season... We were about Joker and Batman having a surfing yes, contest. Yes, that's ridiculous. Dark stuff that Alan Moore held Alan, in high regard. Alan Moore. Does Alan Moore and Grant Morrison... I, I can totally believe Grant Morrison holds it in high regard. I don't think Alan Moore does. Alan Moore doesn't hold anything that, in that high regard. That was the culmination of Morrison's Batman run. Did he never do that? No, he didn't. Did he never refer to the Batman and the Joker surfing? Nope. Is the TV show... The exception to his everything counts rule. That's in Hellsworld story. Is it? Yeah. So that didn't count. Nope. No, Alright, fair enough. But the first, I still think the first season's pretty damn good for the most part. But that's just me. What's next on your list, Michael? Uh, I think I'll go for this. Okay. Uh, next up for me is Guillermo del Toro's. It's Guillermo! 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 Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is a huge book about his notebooks, collections, and other obsessions. It's actually pretty damn good. It, it, I, yeah. I enjoyed leaping through this the other day. I've, I love his house. Well, uh, that's as much as I've read so far, the first bit of it, which is about what he calls the bleak house. Hmm. I'm not sure if it is actually his house where he lives in. What, do you think he has a house just for all his stuff? Yeah, he, he said it. <laughs> there is a bit where he says his, his collection was getting so big he needed somewhere to put it. Right, okay, fair enough. And so he has this house full of weird, obscure things. Objects to art. Yeah, he's got art books in there, he's got um, doctor's books in there, he's got comics in there. Yeah, I love his bookshelves. He's got the essential Spider-Man 1 and 2 and the essential Doctor that Strange. The, the separate cover. <coughs> yeah, the, the original printings before they changed all the trade dress. Yeah, and uh, he's got quite. He's got. He must be a fan of Dick Cook to have essential Spider-Man one and two and Doctor Strange. Yeah, but he has got archives from DC archives, Batman and Superman, and Doom Patrol and other stuff like that. Um, he's got his big Lovecraft statue in his library, which I'm, I'm quite a fan of. I wouldn't mind just having a look around his library. He's, he's got several libraries. I know. A uh, little Iron Giant there. Yes, he's got a little Iron Giant. A bigger statue. Iron Giant behind him. Um, Popeye stuff there. He's a big but, fan of Popeye, isn't yeah. he? Um, the little things from Hercules. Right. And then we move into, after all about his house, we move into his early films and the sketchbooks from that. 
and then into his newer films. There's a lot about Hellboy in it. There's an awful lot about Hellboy. It seems to be the main focus of the book. I thought they would have focused more on something like Pan's Labyrinth. There is a bit on Pan's Labyrinth. Because Pan's Labyrinth was brilliant. Well, there's two Hellboy films. There is, so. that's true, so, but there will have been a lot of... Are they not doing a third Hellboy? Uh, yeah. I like the bit at the end where they talk about all the films that he never made. Yeah, well, I, I like the Pacific Rim, but... There's not a lot of Pacific Rim in it. That's just... It, it, was, it was new at this point. He didn't do much for Pacific Rim, really. Was he just director for hire? Well, he did design um, key moments uh, and little pieces of the set. Yeah. But all the monster designs, all the Jaeger designs were done by a separate art team. Right. And then, yeah, it, it does end with all of these films that never happened. Such as At the Mountains of Madness with Tom Cruise. And Tom Cruise actually writes the afterword because he's like convinced it will one day happen. Yeah. And I wouldn't count it out if Tom Cruise says it will happen. And there's also bits in it written by James Cameron, uh, Tom Cruise, as we said. Uh, Neil Gaiman's in it as well. Yeah, it's quite a good book. I was quite impressed with it. Very nice book, that. It's, it was, it's bigger than I uh, thought it was. It's bigger on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> there's a limited edition as well. Is it? Which comes with like. Ten art prints. Oh right, and that not is that not the limited edition? No, it's not. All right. But I do know that's not edition. on Amazon anymore. Is it not? Nope. Right. Because originally, when I told my mum what you wanted for Christmas, yeah, I went on Amazon to send her the link so she could buy it for you, and it's not available on Amazon. Right. So I had to tell her it, it's actually in Waterstones. You have to go into the shop, where I've held it in my hand. So it is actually available. Yeah, apparently the, the limited edition, I looked it up, it comes with like 10 art prints, but it's £100 more expensive. Is it? What, just for the art prints? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, Alright, then, we'll, we'll do another email. Uh, we're into our Doctor Who section. Yes. Which is nice. So it's... We've already had our Doctor <coughs> Who section. I know, but th- these are all the emails about the Doctor Who episode we did, which yes. it seems to have been quite well received, so that's quite nice. Mm. This podcast is bigger on the inside, says Luke. Lovely Luke Jackanetta. How can you have a podcast that's bigger on the inside? I don't know. What can you have a TARDIS that's bigger on the inside? That, that doesn't matter. If a TARDIS so, all right, okay. TARDIS. If I hold this podcast here, but you, and then I hold this other one here, which one's bigger? How, how can you... So if I bring that one forward right. and put that one over there, now which one's bigger? I'm, I'm a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> Small. says, man, I would make an effort to watch Doctor Who some more if he travelled with Andy and Michael. <laughs> oh, we would make awesome companions. We would. Wouldn't yeah. we? <laughs> For Peter Capaldi. You know, like he'd just smack us about the head and then swear at us. That'd be more fun. Uh, Luke's email begins. I want to drop you guys a quick line about your Doctor Who show. I only became aware of Doctor Who in a broad sense when Fox heard the TV movie, although I did not watch it. I do remember all of the commercials for it. I first saw the show when Sci-Fi Channel heard the Chris Eccleston series here in the States. Until I saw the series there, I thought that the TV Doctor Who was the same as the Doctor Who, H.W., from the Toho movie King Kong Escapes, an Asian madman bent on world conquest. No, I didn't consider why that would make him popular in the UK, but hey, end of the breaks. <laughs> Maybe we just like our Asian madman, dead men's on world like, conquest. Yeah. <laughs> Cult following. <laughs> I still like Eccleston quite a bit as the Doctor. The fact that he played both Doctor Who and Destro rates him pretty high in my book. G.I. <laughs> Joe Doctor Who crossover. <laughs> Doctor Who is one of those properties which seems perfect for comics. The long run of various series and strips in the UK is testament to this. Now, did you know 
there was a regular Marvel comic which features an ersatz Doctor and stands in for the Daleks. Power Man and Iron Fist issue 79 featured the Heroes for Hire running into Professor Justin Alphonse Gamble, a Victorian gentleman, scholar, eccentric and scourge of evil mechanical monsters who has a time machine which can disguise its outside appearance depending on the era it is in. And his enemy are the Incinerators, non-humanoid robots who roll around on tank treads and shoot fire from fire-topped mountain cannons. Sound familiar? I actually read the issue before I was familiar with Doctor Who. Imagine my surprise when I later figured out the similarities. Power Man and I for 79. I think that may be on a future docket. I think we may have to cover that. Andy said that IDW presented a crossover of the two largest science fiction franchises in TV history. I'm sorry, but when did IDW cross over with Ultraman? <laughs> oh, Luke and his Ultraman. <laughs> I really had fun hearing about the various incarnations of the Doctor Who strip and the IDW crossover series. I've never read any Doctor Who comics, but it seems like there is a ton of material out there if you seek it out. Not unlike the media tie-in properties I grew up with. Thanks for the fun show, boyos. Silver Age, woo! Next, Luke. P.S. Oh, a P.S. Thunder the Barbarian was actually a sort of mix of Conan, Commandy, Star Wars and Jack Kirby with the series designed by Alex Toth and it was beyond awesome. Essentially, and read this in your best baritone, the year 1994, from out of the space comes a runaway planet hurtling between the Earth and the Moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Man's civilization is cast in ruin. 2,000 years later, Earth is reborn. A strange new world rises from the old, a world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ukla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. He is Thundar the Barbarian! Did you like that? It was very nice. Was that, was that dramatic enough? It, was good. it needs to launch into a pretty cool theme tune after that, though, doesn't it? Yeah. PPS, I would totally buy Street Fighter vs. Star Trek. <laughs> I think we'd like that as well. Yeah. I think that would be fun also. Next, presents. More should we talk about more presents? Let's talk about I more think presents. we should talk about more presents. Or should we take a commercial break for a podcast? Mm. Alright, we'll do another present and another email, then we'll have a commercial break. Well, well, my next one's dead easy. Is it? Isn't it? My next one's dead easy. Anza bought me a Star Wars novel. Okay. Which is always nice. Tell, tell us what country it's from. This is an American book. Right. It's okay. not a British book, despite the fact she maintained she bought it on Amazon.co.uk. Well, they have been a bit weird recently, actually. What, Amazon? I bought a game and it came in French. And a French packaging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is the American edition of Scoundrels by Timothy Zahn, which I've actually been looking forward to reading after it was, <laughs> um, it was said that it was basically Ocean's Eleven with Han Solo. Yeah. Which sounds like a winning combination <laughs> to me. Hopefully it won't be as smug as Ocean's Eleven. But uh, Han and Lando and Chewbacca, I'm all for that. So I was quite impressed with how we'll read this in the fullness of time. Because I, I was quite interested in Star Wars Kenobi as well. Because yeah. you know all these ancillary stuff that Disney are doing? I'd love them to bring Ewan McGregor back and do an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. I love, Owen, I love Obi-Wan Kenobi in those films. Ewan McGregor. Good job. I think he's fantastic. Anyway, that's all I've really got to say about it, because I've not read it. Yeah. So I can't tell you it's any good or not. <laughs> but I will read it, because it's the Timothy Zahn Star Wars novel. It should be pretty good. What have you got, Michael? Next up is, well, three presents I got from Mum. In one. Three. Three. Count them. Three. Yeah. Presents in one. Uh, which are the vertical uh, reprints of the adaptation for Mobile Suit Gundam The Origin. And how many editions of this are there? There will be twelve. And you've got three. 
Yeah. So does that mean we have to keep buying them? Yeah. Well, I've already said that. I you didn't think that through, did you, love? I didn't know at the time. <laughs> 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 uh, the hardback collections, uh, which collect all the volumes that were in the uh, magazine, Japanese magazine, which was launched specifically for this title. Right. And it's an adaptation of the original 1979 Gundam anime. And how often do these come out? There's been three since late 2012. Alright, so they're not in a rush then. Well, they're, they're all out uh, in Japan. It's finished. So they're translating. I think these collect... Uh, you know your normal average little paperback mangas? Yes. I think these collect about three of them. Right. Are they backwards? Like proper yeah, Japanese yeah, boots? Yeah. So they, that's the, the, right. Uh, and also, uh, these also have essays in the back. Ah! So this one has uh, an essay about the origin of the anime and how the, the adaptation came about. Mm. Um, the second one at the back, I think, just has a few pin-ups. Yeah, yeah it works nice. It, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, it works a lot. But what's, what's weird about them is that because they collect about three of the paperbacks, right. um, the first few pages are in colour. Right. Because the first few pages of a manga would be, but then it's in black and white. And then it goes to colour again until you get the next you get volume. To the start of the next volume, yeah. Well, you know what that reminds you of? British comics in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. When they first started experimenting with shading and colour. You'd have a couple of pages that were shaded red or blue or whatever, and then it'd be black and white, and then you'd have the centre page in colour. Yeah. And then it'd go over to black and white. Mm-hmm. It was like watching stuff on a faulty TV. <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah, the third one just is like a backup strip. Very nice. I'm looking forward to reading that. Good, good. I'm glad that you like them. Your mum, that was all your mum. That was nothing to do with me. Would it have anything to do with me saying, oh, these look really, really nice when we're in Waterstones? Very possibly. Why did back to Waterstones before we left? So you could check the prices? No. So I could check what they were. So so we could actually see what they were properly. We pretended to pay you no attention when we were actually You did it very well. (laughs) Well, we're very good at pretending not to pay attention to our children. You're very good at not paying attention. No, 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 pretending. (laughs) Pretending, dude. We always pay attention to our kids, <laughs> don't we, love? Mostly. Occasionally. Probably. Well. Depending on the kid. <laughs> yeah, depending on what you're saying as well. <laughs> if it begins with, I want. <laughs> yeah, shut off. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, oh, oh, can I have? That, that's normally a, a what says, isn't it? All uh, right, we're going to we'll, uh, slot in a commercial for a show. All right. I'm contractually obliged to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll come back with an email from Jason Trenner. Pass it on to the other guys, and I got it from his corpse. Right. Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? For a little while. Previously on Heroes. You had to go and be the detective, didn't you, Matt? I'm not an aggressive person, but. Ugh, man, there's just way too much on all these channels. But only in game. Everybody lives, Rose. Just this one! In your dreams, Matloaf! Bite my shiny metal hat. Sometimes I get, I get vision. Walter, what are you doing? Watch and learn. I wish there was some way to find out what's really worth watching. There is. What? Who? What was that? Tuning into Sci-Fi TV is the viewer's guide to genre television. Where is that coming from? With its spoiler-free quick reviews and water cooler and the spoiler-filled in-depth back porch discussions, Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV is the only resource fans need to know what's on, what's good, and what's coming soon in science fiction and fantasy television. How did you get into my house? Join Kevin, Wendy, and Brent each week for the latest in genre television. 
I'm calling the police. Uh, you can find Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. No, seriously. How did you get into my house? Arf, it starts with... Mom? You could have done that before the break. You can't get a word in with you. Do you want to do Amber back? And we're back. Thank you very much. And we are indeed back. We have an email from Jason Trenner, who is a first-time emailer to the show. Big thumbs up, young Jason. You, you, you could see it if it wasn't an audio. Yeah, Angela gave you a thumbs up as well. Long live the doctor. Oh, and not spam, if I need to keep that joke going. That is because Jason is a regular email to Back to the Bins, where he has to write not spam in the subject heading, otherwise Scott Gardner thinks it's spam and just deletes all the emails. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've never had that problem. We have not. So far, so let's hope that it continues that way. Greetings and exterminations. Been listening to the show for a long time and finally getting around to spreading my madness. It's infectious and makes people glow red. Do you get that? Uh, no. Jason's famous for making references that no one gets because <laughs> he does actually say, let's see how many people get that. Anyway, about the Doctor. Continues Jason. He's a character I find interesting and enjoy, although I don't really have a specific incarnation I consider my Doctor. Probably doesn't help I consider Death Head versus Alric versus Rose Tyler locked in a steel cage fight to be a really amusing thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, Death's Head does have a connection with Doctor Who, doesn't it? Does it? In the British comics, wasn't Death's Head... Wasn't there a Death's Head Doctor Who crossover, or was that with Ab- Absalom Dark Dalek Hunter? I don't know. Something like that. I forget. Oh, here you go. Jason explains it for us. We should read ahead. We should, Soon. yeah. You see, Death's Head and his encounters with the Doctor, as reprinted in Incomplete Death's Head, were the first times I could remember seeing the infamous Time Lord, and I do consider myself a fan of the Peacekeeping Agent. Yeah, I'm weird that way. I found the overview of the Doctor's comics history interesting and had one thought on the cyborg general's poem to his dark masters. I'm surprised they didn't just tell him to do whatever he wants if he'd never sing again. Says a lot when you can't carry a tune in a bucket when you are a bucket. (laughs) Even Angela smiled. Well done. Because you're hard to make laugh, aren't you, love? Yeah. As for the Star Trek Doctor Who comic were to begin, the story had a great start with the Cybermen and Borg attacking and trashing the Delton homeworld, but after the flashback with the fourth Doctor, which had superior art to the main series, like you pointed out, the whole thing became dragged out with whole issues devoted to dragging arse, as you'd put it. And the Defiant didn't even show up to help out the Enterprise D against the Cyberman and the Borg. It existed by then, and this is what it was made to do. Fight. As for the reboot Trek, eh, the comic for it has proven to be the best use of that universe so far. The Hey Kids comics review of the reboot Where No Man Has Gone Before gave the flashback in it to Gary Mitchell and Kirk's Academy days a bit of a pass from the writer because he's basically stuck with the crap from the first movie reboot. From there they got better and got really good when they started doing their own material and cutting down the retold stories. Something the movies could have learned from them seriously. Khan, especially the redo part of Wrath of Khan. Yeah, we didn't like the redoing Wrath of Khan, did we? Wasn't wasn't fond of that. As for the next generation characters being stiff, yeah, that baggage is what happens when the creator thinks we need to have them be without conflict. There's a reason that got dumped when he lost control. But as for the Doctor, may he live long and regenerate more than 13 times. Jason Trenner. Well, you've just got your wish, Jason. <laughs> he has now got an entirely new regeneration cycle. As it's my dis- understanding. Yes. Next up, I'm just going to cover two quick ones before we get into the meat. Uh, oh, I've covered all my meat. Have you covered all your meat? Yeah. Well, thankfully you've covered your meat, because I don't want to see it, quite <laughs> frankly. Terror of the Zygons on DVD! Speaking of Doctor Who... Red things with sucky bits. Yes, surprisingly good kisses. He, he should know. 
Indeed. Uh, a stone cold, stone cold classic. Stone cold. Stone cold. Stone cold classic from uh, the golden era of Tom Baker, starring Tom Baker as the Doctor, Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith, uh, Ian Martyr as Harry Sullivan, and the final appearance of the Brigadier as a regular character. Oh, right. So he doesn't die. No, no. He comes back in um, Peter Davis, and, and then he does one with every one of them, I think, after that. Right. Maybe not Colin Baker. Certainly not Paul McGann, but you know what I mean. Maybe he's done an audio. I don't. Maybe know. he did a Paul McGann one when we were watching. That's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Terror of the Zygons on DVD. Heartily recommended. Classic. Okay. I watched it last night. You all left. Yeah. Despite the fact <laughs> I think it's a classic. And the PlayStation 3 game Batman Arkham Origins was also purchased for me. And Walking Dead Hardcover Volume 9 was also got. I don't really have much to say about that, because I only read the hardcovers... Yeah. I've completely forgot what happened in Volume 8. I've not read Volume 8. <laughs> I'm sure I'll pick it up as I go along, because I really do like these Walking Dead hardcovers. Mm. They're just right, aren't they? They're not as fat as an omnibus, so they're not hard to read. But they're not like those compendiums that they've done that have got like 50 issues in. Yeah. They seem like they'd be really difficult to read to me. So, I, I, I'd get really lost with The Walking Dead. Would you? If, I, I guess there's just... I just read the recent Invincible hardback. Yes. And we pick them up every year because that's about when they come out. Yeah, I get Invincible for my birthday. Yeah. Walking Dead for Christmas. So we read them every year. So I, I was asking you what happened in the last one because who's he? What's going on there? I didn't remember. But nothing happens in The Walking Dead, so... Well, yeah, pretty much. They, they make the home somewhere. Everything they goes all right for a person. bit. Yeah, Rick, Rick goes off. He finds a group of settlers he settles with them something bad happens Rick leaves he finds a new group of settlers so basically he's David Banner yeah is what you're saying <laughs> no I only value them so I can read them that's fair enough I don't mind reading alright we'll do another email and then Michael will talk some more Chris Franklin has emailed in it is simply entitled The Doctor Hello, Leyland. Short to the point, that. It is, yeah. The Doctor. I like that. Greetings from the Earth 2 Batcave here in Kentucky. I really enjoyed your Doctor Who 50th anniversary special. I and my family are recent converts to the Whovian religion. I've been aware of the Doctor since I was young, but only caught a few scant episodes on the local PBS station, and I had no clue what was going on. Feeling uninformed, I just ignored the show for decades, but early last spring I finally caved in and watched a few Matt Smith episodes. Needless to say, I was hooked, and soon my whole clan was in on it. My 11-year-old son even dressed as the 11th Doctor for Halloween this year. We're all looking forward to the big 50th anniversary special, but hate to see Smith leave shortly thereafter. We just got to know the guy. I know, as it, is this just my lifetime piling up? But it seems to me like Matt Smith, as the days turn into night. Is it just... It only seems like he's been here for five minutes. His run's been padded out, though. It's been a very short run, but padded out over... Four years. Well, two years. He's done three full-length series, but, two but of those one years of those series specials. was split over yeah. two years. And then he's done two specials, the 50th anniversary special, and then this year's Christmas special. Yeah. So he's ended up doing less episodes than David Tennant. But longer of a run. But, yeah, well... David Tennant's run actually encompasses five years by cheating. David Tennant's run felt like it lasted forever. That's what I mean. David Tennant's run felt longer. Yeah. And it, it actually isn't. But Matt Smith felt shorter. Yeah, Matt Smith, it only feels like he's only just arrived and he's already gone. Yeah. I didn't want him to go, which was the opposite of Tennant. I do like Tennant a great deal, but I was ready for him to go at that point. It felt like his run had ended and then he carried on for another They carried on for a bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Whereas with Matt Smith, I was like, I don't want him to go. 
Because I think this this second half of his series seven, from Clara coming in it, yeah, the show I think's really picked up. I don't know what it is. Jenna Coleman's uh, just effervescent. She's I mean, just brought something fresh to it. I think the series has been better, but the episodes themselves haven't. I don't mind the episodes. I, uh, the overall story's better than the individual episodes. Right, okay. But certainly the last three have been excellent. The, tri- the Doctor Trilogy. The name of the Doctor, the time of the Doctor, the, the day of the Doctor, night. whatever they're called. Was it not night? The, the bowel the first one, of the Doctor. The first one was day, wasn't it? No, the first one was the name. The second one was the day. The second one was the day. Your mum just insists on calling <laughs> that the three Doctors. Well, if you want it, the, the quadrilogy. Isn't it? The three name. doctors, yeah. Well, four if you count Tom. He was. He wasn't the doctor. Ah, ah who knows? Ah, ah who knows? He was the curator. He was just the curator. Yes, you could be me. I could be you. Ah, best bit. Yeah, loved it. And then it was the last one was the time. The time of the doctor. Yes, yes. Which was so. In terms of years that Matt Smith was the doctor. He's had a much longer run he's than anyone. He's had a much longer run than anyone, because yeah. he started... That, that last episode takes place over, over what? Over 300 and odd years, doesn't it? Yeah. And he's already aged over a thousand years since he took over. David Tennant gave his age as being 904 in Voyage of the Damned, right? Yeah. Matt Smith gave his age as being 1,200. So he David Tennant for four years. Well, that's one of the things. No, he's... After that... Eccleston was 900. And Tennant was 904. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so he was only Chris Freckleson for a very short time. Yeah. And then Matt Smith, though, is given his age of being at least 1,200 in Not Asylum of the Daleks, the Utah one, with um, William Morgan Shepard in it and Badger from Firefly, Romy Lampkin from Battlestar Galactica. You know the guy I mean. Uh, got his name. Him. Oh, that fella. The, He's yeah. in Supernatural as well. The one Mark Shepard. Mark Shepard. The one where the Doctor dies. Yes. He gives his age in that one has been 1,200. And then in the last episode yesterday, as yeah. we record this, the time of the Doctor, he's on the Christmas planet for over 300 years. He's aged quite a lot. So in terms of the amount of time he was in that incarnation, yeah. it's over 2,000 years. But as far as we're concerned, he's only done it for four years. Yeah. It's very confusing. You know, I, I don't think I'd be able to enjoy uh, the Peter Capaldi run. Why? Because you sit there going, just swear once, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's not going to happen. And once again, we've been sidetracked. But we should just do a Doctor Who episode again. Again. Sure. Uh, Chris continues, I'm eager to sample some Who comics now. And I think the ones you covered sounded quite interesting. Back Issue recently ran an article on Marvel's Who comics. So I had a bit of knowledge about those. I'm going to sample some of IDW's output now you have given us a recommendation. Well, some of it anyway. Uh, and then he mentions that he's done a podcast called Pod Stallions, which talk about Doctor Who, which is available on pladstallions.com, which I will check out. And we've just given it a plug, which is very nice. So thank you very much, Chris. Always nice to hear from Chris. What are you talking about next, Michael? Uh, I'll do some bits and pieces. Okay. First up, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops for the PSP. A Metal Gear Solid game? Yes. What a safe bet that was. Well, it's, I, I've not got it yet, because it's right. been released on the PSP. All right, fair enough. The other PSP game had a port to the PS3. And it hasn't been collected in any of the, the collections because it isn't considered canon anymore because it's been heavily retconned. But you still wanted it. Yeah. And you still like playing it. Then, what you got me, be, uh, the special edition of Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, I got you that. Starring Ellen Page and Willem Dafoe. I got you that. Special yeah. edition, yeah. Yeah. Special Didn't know it was a special edition when I bought it. Yeah. Did you? Would yeah. you have got me the standard yeah, one? Yeah, because then I saw the price. <laughs> 
And then I looked at it again and went, wait a minute, why was mine much more expensive? And it's because you, on your wish list, special edition, laptop special edition, always have to have because it's got extra features and cards. It, well, I was actually looking at that. Um, the thing with it comes You just want Ellen Page. Well, yeah. You want me to wrap her up for Christmas, right? <laughs> you keep stroking the case, actually. It's because it's a picture of Ellen Page. Well, it's a really nice steel bookcase, but the disc, the game itself is only the standard disc. All the, the special edition bits come with a downloadable code. So the soundtrack, the making of, the art, all come as digital downloads. It's a bit of a cop-out, really. For the extra money. But yeah. When digital downloads don't really cost any extra to produce. It was your mistake, man. <laughs> <laughs> My mistake. It, it was. My next present was I only asked for three things this year. <laughs> and Anya spo- Anya. Anya didn't spoil me. Anya don't give a rat's ass about me. I didn't really ask for much. I said, well, there's a game coming out of March and I want that, so maybe I'd like this. Mm. Angela did spoil me because she didn't have a job and then she did have a job. Yeah. So she spoiled me. But I, I did only ask for three things. I asked for the making of Return of the Jedi and Terror of the Zygons on DVD and this next present. Yeah. I did ask for, which is the trade paperback version of the Joker, the Clown Prince of Crime, which collects the nine-issue Joker series that DC published in the mid-1970s. Again, it's a nice little package. Always nice to have a good package. But it's not got that crappy, glossy paper. Your DC rant's coming up. My DC rant is coming up, lovely listener, so batten down the hatches. <laughs> the paper is, again, that lovely rough paper. Yeah. So you don't have to, to watch it to read it. I've been after this for a while. Mm. I've long wondered why DC didn't have this in print, because I've wanted to read it for a long time. I was delighted that they finally put it into print. When did you put it into print? This has only just come out. came out beginning of December. Sorry, uh, it has a new logo on the front. I didn't yes. see it on the side. Yeah, it's got the... The new logo, the new DC, the one that looks like the D's faded and crinkling. Yeah, peeling off the sink. So I was happy that they'd done it. Yeah. Because I was long for wanting to read this. But here it comes. However, <laughs> DC's lackadaisical way of producing trade paperbacks yeah. raises its ugly head again. This is a landmark series, right? Okay. It's a very important comic book series. Right. It's one of the few times a villain. Certainly in the, the bronze and silver and golden age, this, a, a villain was the focus of the comic. And there was a lot of restrictions that they had to work around with the comics code. The comics code dictated that a villain has to get his comeuppance at the end of an issue, right. or at the end of a story. So every issue of this had to end with the Joker being arrested and sent back to Arkham. So within that, that framework, mm. they managed to create some stories that apparently are quite good. I've not read any of them apart from the one that is reprinted in The Greatest Joker Stories Ever Told, which is on my bookshelf there. So that's the only one of these I've ever read. Yeah. So one would think that a collection of such an important series... Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a quality series, because I haven't read it yet. Yeah. So I'm not saying that it's lots of gems, but I know I was very interested in it. One would think they would give this some kind of, I don't know, historical context. One would think there would be introductions and essays explaining this series and its importance and position in the comic book publishing pantheon. One would think DC would have wanted to... Angela's just rolling her eyes at me because she's ranting again. One would think DC would have made something of this. One would think that if one... Especially as there is a tenth issue of this comic that was written 
and drawn and never published. Right. All those pages exist. The writer of that issue, and I forget who it is now, so I do apologise, but the writer of that issue has posted them on the internet for you to look at. He has a complete collection of them. Because for a long time they were thought lost. Right. But he's managed to get hold of the original art and he has a complete collection of it. Okay. Why couldn't DC put that issue in here? Even in rough, unfinished form, that issue number 10 has never seen print. Why is it not in here? They've got it. It exists. It should have been in this collection. There should have been introductions. There should have been a text piece. There should have been a reason about why this is important. Without the context, all you've got here is a collection of stories from 1975, or thereabouts, whenever this was published. Let me have a look. 1975, yeah, that was good. Well remembered, Andrew. That don't mean anything. I'm looking forward to reading them. I think they could have put a bit more effort into the presentation. Would it have killed them? to drag like Michael Uslan or Robert Greenberger or somebody like that out and say right there's a couple of introductions to this book I want to eat it because it's been printed now what's the point well even things as expensive as absolutes DC are doing a bad job of them yeah they don't do any of those back matter anymore do they well as, as long as they collect the issues and have adverts in them they just print anything does really? this have ads in? I have no idea actually. let me have a look they're normally at the back nowadays aren't yeah. they the adverts Yes, it does. Yeah. It has adverts in for other graphic Which novels. Annoys me Three pages blend. that they could have used to actually explain the stories and give it context. Or better yet, publish issue number 10 <laughs> for the first time. But they never did. So, so I'm looking forward to reading it, though. I'm, uh, I've, always, I've wanted to read that series for a long time. Oh, that, that does annoy me, though. What? The adverts. I've started putting adverts in the graphic novels. I don't mind them doing it with cheap paperbacks when they do it to the big oversized hardbacks. That's supposed to be collector's edition. Yeah. yeah. Alright, fair enough. That's fine. Have you got anything else to share with us like, like that? Uh, Alright, okay. What I got was the big deluxe edition, or the limited edition, of um, the vinyl version of uh, French musician Kavinsky's debut album, Outrun. Um... He did the track which plays over the opening credits of Drive. Alright. It's a Neo 80s. I knew there'd be a Drive connection somewhere. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's got little prints in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the prints. Uh, it's essentially a book with a vinyl in it. Yeah, essentially. It's a nice book, though. It, it is, yeah. It's got all the uh, prints for the fake movie that Outrun is. He said. So is Outrun not a real film? No. So who are all these actors that are posing? And Drive! The guy in these pictures wearing the jacket that he wears in Drive. It's a different jacket. Is it? Yeah. Oh, the right. one in Drive, the one that Ryan Gosling has, is the white one with the scorpion on the back. Right. Uh, right, what, what it is, uh, is his music's very heavily inspired by 80s video games and such. Outrun, the name of the album, is named after an old... It's an old video game. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what it is, he said... So what it is... But what he said was, this album is the soundtrack to a film that doesn't exist. Fair enough. He, he made up his own character, uh, called Kavinsky, who... <laughs> is it based on him, perhaps? Well, he, the character is, he died in a car crash in a Ferrari Testarossa. Which is what he's driving in the picture. In 1986. Right. But then came back as a zombie with his soul connected to the car. Isn't that a Charlie Sheen film called The Wraith? I've, I've no idea. He was killed in a car crash and he comes back in the car to get vengeance. He, he came back to make music, actually. All oh, right, not to get vengeance. No, no, Different no. film, then. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's just little pictures of him in this fake film. And have you got the album? 
I have, yeah. Have you got it somewhere that you can actually listen to until you get a record player? Yeah, I, I had it um, through heinous means. So, <laughs> I, I, I nefarious channels. Yeah, I guess this was me rectifying that. Well, we've said that before, though, haven't we? Sometimes illegal downloading, you'll go, oh, I'll buy that. Yeah. And you have to. Uh, and here is the vinyl itself. Wow. Does it crackle and pop when you listen to I it? No, I don't. I, I do have some yellow card vinyls upstairs. But you don't have a Never. record player. Yeah, I don't don't put it. fingers on a vinyl! Why not? I need to teach you how to hold them! That's better. Yeah. Don't put your fingerprints all over. I love vinyl. I love you can see where the tracks end. Yeah. With those little grooves. That's awesome. Alright, should we do another email? Our next email is still all about the Doctor Who episode that we did. That was popular. David Agutore, it was. Very popular, the Doctor episode. So basically, all we want to do is a G.I.G.O. podcast, a Conan podcast, and a Doctor Who podcast. Star Wars, Star Wars was popular. Star Wars was popular back in the day, yeah. Doctor's Who is from David Gutierrez. Leyland's young and old. Great Doctor Who episode. The senior Leyland best bow to his junior. Indeed, the ninth Doctor is the best. Eccleston knew to check out before outstaying his welcome. Leave them wanting more, I always say. The eighth Doctor comes in as second best, followed by Andrew's precious number four. I'm taking issue with this. I've had enough of this. The Eighth Doctor did one film just based purely on what is screened. That movie's not very good. But was he good in it? Yes, he's great in it. But you can't... I don't think you can say... But not the one you're expecting. Yeah, and he's brilliant in that. But you can't say he's the favourite based on that 90 minutes. You have to have listened to the other stuff to be able to say the 8th Doctor's your favourite. Okay. And his audio adventures are apparently very good. Yeah. And it strikes me as a real shame that Sheridan Smith was a, an audio companion. Because mm. she would have been an excellent television companion. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. All right. If you, if you like a guy who needs one 98 movie. <laughs> yeah, that is me stirring the pot. Ever <laughs> so slightly. Are you fans of the Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures spin-off shows? In reverse order, yes, kind of. Sarah Jane Adventures was pretty good when I saw it, but I didn't watch it every week. Right. But when I watched it, I enjoyed it. Torchwood was very hit and miss. Well, see, it was the other way around for me. Was it? See, Torchwood, I thought you'd get a good one one week, and then you'd get a trite one the next week. And, like, then you'd get that entire series. Was it Children of Earth? I didn't watch that. Which was excellent. Yeah. And then they followed that up with the next series with... Um, James Masters was in it, wasn't it? James Masters was in the one of the first two series as Captain John or something. Right. Mackay oh, Pfeiffer! Yeah. It's Mackay Pfeiffer, isn't it? Yeah. Mackay Pfeiffer is the name I'm desperately struggling for. Oh, Didn't... The cat one. Yeah. That series was awful. Oh, was that not because they had an American. Yeah, they went over to America. Yeah. Because I think it was. Who else was it? Somebody from 24 was in it, and it wasn't very good at all. Right. And it's like, for every, for every one that was good, they did one that wasn't very good. Well, for me, I. I, I couldn't get into Sarah Jane whenever I saw it. Well, because of the pretentiousness inside me, I thought that was too childish. For oh, you dullard. I just couldn't get into it. I liked it when I watched it. I didn't watch but it every week. With Torchwood, I only watched the first series. And when, when I was younger, it was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. It's like Doctor Who, but for adults and swearing and all. Yes. I like the countryside one. The Soil and Green episode. Yeah, a lot of people hated that one. I thought that one was fun. Anyway, all right. Also, Andrew the Elder, were the various Doctor Edzik made as public as they are today? Yeah, um, pretty much. But you've got to remember, I was born in 72, so my Doctor was Tom. So Tom leaving was big news. 
because he'd done it for such I a long time. I think they made more of a big deal out of Capaldi than they have before. They, they made a big deal out of Tenet, episode. Yes, they did. Matt Smith did. did it he? was only a Talking Heads issue of Confidential, right. but he had an episode where they revealed him to the world. Right. But they never had a big live screening thing. No, they didn't have that live screening thing like they did with Peter Capaldi. Yeah. But So te- Tom Baker leaving was a big deal, and casting Peter Davison was a big deal, because Peter Davison was the first time until... Eccleston that they cast a name actor yeah. in the role Peter Davison was already a well known TV actor when he was played the Doctor mm. he wasn't an unknown which is quite unusual at the time but Tom did something that I'd regret wow. he was the first person to say well, I think it should be a woman and every time now the actor announces that he's leaving the first thing I say to your mum is how long before a tabloid says it's going to be a woman and they do it every time now, and it's boring and I, old. I, I have problems with that anyway. Um, I don't think it should be a woman, because, well, let's bring biology into this. Uh, he's a guy. Yeah, well, d- Neil Gaiman was patting himself on the back for saying he's established in his episode that they can change sexes when they regenerate, which I, 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 it's not an idea I'm fond of. I think if they're going to bring a woman, bring a Romana back. Because mm. she doesn't have to be the same actress. She was a time lady. Yeah. Or Susan! Bring Susan back and establish that she's regenerated. Mm. Bring his granddaughter back. Or his daughter that they ditched in that one episode. Yeah, we never saw her again, did we? No. We thought we'd see her again, but we didn't. Especially didn't with an ending that. like that. Uh, it, it's always announced on the news when one of them leaves. So That's Peter Davison yeah. was announced on the news. I don't remember Colin Baker. I don't remember what happened with Colin Baker because I know there was some animosity there since he didn't come back for his regeneration. That's right. Sylvester McCoy in a wig. And uh, Sylvester McCoy is the only one I've never been able to get into. Was he the small one? Yeah, the small Scottish guy. I can't... I don't think Sylvester McCoy can do drama. Any time he ends up trying to do a dramatic scene, I don't buy it. Didn't he have the question mark on the cane? He had the question mark all over his jumper as well. And I just can't get into Sylvester McCoy's era. I've tried! And it it just doesn't sing to me for some reason. Uh, Eccleston leaving was obviously a big deal because the BBC botched it. Did they? They announced that he was leaving Before in an interdepartmental started. memo the week after Rose heard. Right. And it wasn't supposed to be made public knowledge. Right. And that departmental memo got released publicly. Somebody thought it was a public press release. Right. And released it to the press. So that shouldn't have been... Apparently Chris Freckleston was not impressed about that because it was supposed to be a surprise as they could do it. Yeah. And Tennant has said when he went in to speak to them, he didn't know he was actually being secretly auditioned for the role of the Doctor. Right. Because he didn't know Chris Eccleston was only doing one year. He just thought they wanted to see him for a part in it because they knew he was a fan. Yeah. Tennant leaving was a big deal. Yeah. They made a big deal out of Tennant leaving, and they made a big deal out of Matt Smith leaving. But I think with Matt Smith, despite the whole hour-long Peter Capaldi thing, mm. they've he's kind of got short shrift, hasn't he? His leaving has been overshadowed by the fact that it's the 50th anniversary. I think his leaving has been overshadowed by Capaldi coming in. Yeah, that as well. It was and very rushed as well. I said I said to your mum, was it your mum or was it you? I can't remember. I was only thinking about it when I went out running, because when I'm out running, I think about stupid things. Well, we know you tell us <laughs> when you get back. Yes, and this was one of them. We usually talk about it on the show. This was one of them. They could have kept this regeneration a complete secret. Yeah. In every other year, 
right, the new actor will have been filming a series whilst the previous series was still on the air. So there's no way they could have kept it a secret that Eccleston was leaving because they would have seen Tenet filming why Eccleston's series was still airing. Because traditionally, it filmed from July through to February. Yeah. This hasn't happened this year. Because of Capaldi's availability, he's he's filmed two films this year, so he wasn't available. They've pushed the filming back. It only starts in January of 2014. Right. And they will be filming it for nine months, and the series will only come back in September. Yeah. So, why could they not have kept this regeneration a complete secret? Because they won't have seen Capaldi filming, because he's not started filming yet. Well, the 50th anniversary again. They would have done it for something for the 50th. Yeah, but they could have done the 50th and have all the hoopla that they've had. And the regeneration at the end of the Christmas episode could have been a complete surprise. Because Matt Smith's in a play now. Yeah. And all you have to do is say, yeah, Matt's doing this play now until January, which is why we can't start filming until January. And this regeneration will become... How much of a shot would that have been? It's all about the attention, though. It's all about the publicity. As DC comic readers, yeah, we know what it's all the about. Power of publicity, yeah. It's like the 50th anniversary will have got huge ratings because it was the 50th anniversary. What can we do for the Christmas one to make sure it equals that? Well, we mentioned that Matt Smith's going to regenerate. But I, it would have been wonderful if they could have kept it a secret. But yeah. I don't, you know. They didn't. And Moffat's argument for that is you can't keep it a secret because the minute Matt Smith's leaving... His agent puts him up for other work. So the minute that casting agents know he's available, yeah. it's going to get out that he's not doing Doctor Who anymore. So, all right, fair enough. So anyway, that was that was David's question. Uh, it's always been my opinion, continues David, Russell Davis would have been a wonderful choice to reboot the Superman film franchise. He's well-versed in taking what is otherwise considered a juvenile concept and turn it into something entertaining, young and older like. He did get offered Lost in Space, Russell T. Davis. Yeah. Nothing's ever happened with it, because it was after he did Doctor Who. Right. He got offered to do Lost in Space, and he turned it down because he just spent five years doing Doctor Who. Did you get Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future over there? Yes. Yes, we did. It's uh, Tim, Tunig- D- Tim Dunnigan as okay. Captain Power, who was the original first man in the 18th. Fact, fans. It was that, right? It was a toy line that they made into uh, a TV right, show, right. but with, it, with that caveat, the show wasn't that bad. J. Michael Straczynski wrote it. So did it not have an ending? I think he got cancelled before it could end. <laughs> Thanks again for another episode, and listen to your son Andrew, he's got a good taste for the most part. Morrison ain't all that best. <laughs> David, you're not bothered about people saying stuff like that anymore, are you? No. You've, you've gotten to the point where you're like, I like what I like, I don't care. That, that and it's kind of desensitised me. Does it? Yeah, that is it. it. Okay. Uh, my next one was a very simple a little graphic novel. Angela got me a little something you may have heard of called The Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, is there a movie coming out about that? There is. I don't know there's a movie coming out about <laughs> it, but I, I do believe it no, may there's, have there's an entire franchise of movies coming out with, about uh, it. An event. I don't think I've ever read this. And I did get on a bit of a Jim Sterling kick last year when I read Warlord for the first time, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Now, so, I, I uh, kept meaning to read this, because I do think we have it digitally. Yeah, we do. Once again, we've rectified our downloading. Yeah, yeah, we've got a digital copy of this book. But, uh, George Perez draws it for the first couple of issues, and then Ron Lim takes over. It looks like the Marvel Crisis. Yeah, well, that's probably why I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah. So, uh, there are... Uh, I don't know whether the sequels are any good. Apparently, there's Infinity War, Infinity Crusade, Infinity Crusade Volume 2, and Marvel Universe, the end, the end is by Jim Sterling, I don't know about any of the others. And at the beginning of it, there is an advert saying, Rebirth of Thanos, Silver Surfer carries on the story. But I'm hoping that this six issues kind of does the job on its own. So that's a nice little graphic novel that Angela just picked up for me. Why did you pick me this up, Bill? It was on your wish list. 
Yeah. Oh, alright. You started going on about it. Oh, well, your mum asked me what did I want for Christmas, and I thought this was in Waterstones, it was easy for her to buy. Yeah. You know. Oh, she's all internet now. Oh, well, that will lead us to, to what we talk about next. What have you got next? Uh, Are you going to talk about these both? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about them as well. Alright, okay. So we do another email. Because okay. it's another Doctor Who one, so we'll, we'll keep on the Doctor Who topic. It's Sean Engel. Hello, Sean. Hello, Sean. Doctor Who episode or blatant ratings grab to time with the 50th anniversary, you be the judge. Well, what do you think? If I were to judge. <laughs> if I would. Yeah. What's amazing about this is we did actually get it out in time for the 50th. There's been three Iron Man films, dude. We have never done an Iron Man episode. No. <laughs> We've meant to. And every single time we've bollocked up the timing, so we've never done it. Hello, Andy and Mikey. Hello, Sean. Co-host of Who True Freaks. And just one of the guys. A Green Lantern podcast. A Guy Gardner podcast. A Guy Gardner podcast. It has been a long time since I wrote into the show, and the fact that you decided, with help from the obsessive Who fan Stephen Lacey, to take a look at the comic book adventures of The Good Doctor gave me a good enough reason to pass on this missive. Doctor Who, like most things, geeky, nerdy, whatever, was a show I adored in my youth, but on approaching college age and then married life was something I drifted away from, thinking wrongly that I needed to grow up and put away all those childish things. I think I've long since given up on the idea that I'm going to grow up. Don't lie. <laughs> Thanks, love. Thankfully, I realised how wrong I was. And with the restart of the show in 2005, I have reclaimed my love of the character. The comics were something that I came into as well around the show's revival. I remembered the Marvel Doctor Who and the Marvel premiere from my youth, but I never got around to picking them up. I was too busy collecting Marvel Star Wars at the time. But recently, thanks to a free download from Comixology, I got the colourised reprint of Doctor Who and the Iron Legion as a digital copy from them. Yes, the story did have a feel of 2000 AD, and the Doctor's voice at the time sounded a little off. But defeating the bug-blatter beast of Troll, or whatever it was, with a joke was completely in character with the aesthetic of the Doctor, eschewing violence over more rational and intellectual means of winning the day. Plus, it's hard to go wrong with Dave Gibbons' art. The second story about the Doctor and Donna I haven't read, but now sorely wanted to pick up. Like you, I believe Donna was the best of the modern-day companions, although I can think of two reasons to like current companion Clara, if you know what I mean, and I think you do. Because unlike Rose and Martha, she wasn't love-struck by the gallant Gallifreya. She was just a best mate, and as you stated before, that makes their relationship all the more personal and meaningful. To have a compilation of one-shot adventures that she and the Doctor went on leading to a heartfelt and final goodbye is a classy and touching way to say farewell to their relationship and time together. Assimilation Squared was a mixed bag. I picked the books up because Scott and David Tipton had done an excellent job with the Star Trek books for IDW called Klingon's Blood Will Tell. Yeah, well, I picked that because it was Kurt meeting Tom. That was it. You can't go wrong with it. And I, lo- I like Scott Tipton a great deal. He's a lovely guy. He used to write the Comics 101 blog on... Um, I can't remember if it was comic book resources or somewhere, but that was a great blog. And I was expecting more from it than I got. Yeah. And I think that ultimately may have been my fault. You did only pick it up for that one reason. Yeah. But what more reason do you need? Tom Baker's meeting Captain Kirk, the best Star Trek captain and the best Doctor. What other reason do you need to pick that up? The rest of the story was crap. It was alright. It was really The Captain Kirk Doctor Who bit was okay. Well, that, the framing sequence we didn't give a crap all about, about it. Well, the rest so of it was crap. Oh, yeah. you know. 
They were also doing some work with a Doctor Who ongoing, continues Sean, called The Forgotten, so a mashup between the two franchises seemed like a natural. Sadly, it peaked quickly and fell off soon after issue four. The painted art style in the first boot was exceptional, with characters looking like the actors, but not specifically photo-referenced. By book four, the painted art was looking, like you said, a lot more stiff, which is why the hand-drawn flashback sequence with Kirk and the fourth Doctor, my favourite as well, was such a treat. I honestly would have paid to have the entire book settle around these two iterations of the characters, but that kind of eliminates the Borg from the story, so there you go. In the end, not a great comic, but well worth it to see William Shatner's Kirk and Tom Baker's Doctor share some comic book reality. Finally, and this is off topic, I still rather enjoyed the Abrams Star Trek movies. Oh, we were doing so well, Sean! <laughs> we could have been friends. Taken for what they were, they entertained me and made up for Nemesis, which still, after a second rewatch, I could not find much enjoyment in. I enjoyed in. that. I didn't mind Nemesis. Well, I, I, we did go watch them in the cinema when it came out, and I was really young then. Yeah. I think I saw all the Star Trek movies at the cinema, apart from Into Darkness. Yeah. Uh, even with Into Darkness rejiggering of the Khan story, I do not in the slightest think that it should be regarded as the worst of the movie franchise. If anything, the movie excels to me due to the acting, specifically with Pine and Peg as Kirk and Scotty, essentially nailing the relationship I always felt the two had, but was never shown on screen due to Shatner and Doohan's animosity. I suppose we could talk about Star Trek Into Darkness, couldn't we? Could we? I have now seen it, lovely listener. And I have now seen the last half You saw the last half of it, didn't you? I watched it. Yeah. My lovely friend Scott Allison, hi Scott, don't know that you listen but I'll give you a shout out, got me an HD copy ages ago and I was like, I can't be bothered, I don't want to watch this. And then it redawns me, you can't really, really slag something off unless you've seen it. And I may have been pleasantly surprised. I was, you I, may have been. I was quite happy to watch it with an open mind now that all the hubbub bub, has died down. Yeah. So I watched it. I had a few problems with how Kirk was characterised in the beginning, because they subscribe to this idea that Kirk's this free-wheeling rule-breaker. Like jump out of a convertible with Beastie Boys. Yeah, which is not what he is. People who think that are people who have not watched the series. Yeah. They are the people who are subscribing to the popular opinion of the character, rather than what the character actually is. The character of Captain Kirk in the show, certainly in the first season of the show, before William Shatner started becoming a bit of a caricature in season three, Mm. Kurt was established in the first episode. Kurt was a walking stack of books with legs. He was a very studious student. He was an intelligent student. He was well-read. He thought about what he was doing before he did it. Even as the series went on, he went out of his way to avoid conflict unless it was absolutely necessary. There are any number of episodes you can point to where Captain Kirk tries to avoid conflict before he finally goes, right, okay, fire fares as raised shields. Yeah. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country is a fine example of Kirk proving what a good captain he is. In that film, he realises he has to let go of his hatred of the enemy for mankind to move forward. Is that the one where they get arrested? Yes. And he doesn't get arrested, he surrenders. Yeah. Captain Kirk surrenders, which must have been incredibly difficult for him. But he realises that for the greater good, he has to let go of his prejudice and not persecute people based on what he personally feels for people to move forward. And he surrenders. Mm. And he goes through hell because of it. But ultimately, it's the right thing to do. That is not a man who is a rule-breaking warmonger. Yeah. Now, there were instances in the show where Kirk bends the rules. Kobe Ashimaru. Kobe Ashimaru. But the point of it is that 
at that point, he's out on the frontier. He can't just call Starfleet when he's got a problem. Yeah. And say, right, I've got this problem with this planet that are doing this, what should I do? Kirk can't do that. He's not got this instantaneous two-way communication. So occasionally he bends the rules to get the job well, done. He can in the films, he's got the Rebel Alliance, I mean the Federation yes. behind him. Whereas in the films they've subscribed to this idea that he did that a couple of times, they've subscribed to the idea that that's what he's like all the time. Yeah. So I had initial problems with how they were portraying Kurt, but for the first 90 minutes I was enjoying the movie. It's not Star Trek, but it was a fine little science fiction actioner. Yeah. And I was enjoying it on that level. And then you came home about halfway <laughs> I through the film. I ruined it for you. No, 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 you didn't ruin it for me. You came home halfway through, and I'm sat watching it, and you're sat there. And you're doing some work, aren't you, for college? Yeah. And you're watching it, and we get to the bit where he reveals that he's card, which had been spoiled for me, so I was prepared for it. Yeah. But at the same time, Benedict Cumberbatch isn't card. But anyway, all right, I'm going on, I'm accepting it. And then we get to a specific scene in the film, don't we? I knew what was coming, yeah. And I didn't know what was coming. And we get to the scene in the film where Scotty says the warp calls offline or something, doesn't he? This bit was actually more entertaining watching you than the actual film. Was it? It We get to the bit where Scotty said the warp calls offline, you'd have to go into the chamber to reignite it. And what did I do? I just went, (laughs) they're not going to do Wrath of Khan, are they? Yeah. And I'm just sat there stupefied at this point, because I'm like, they're not going to have Kurt go into the radiation chamber. Surely not. And you're sat there going, yeah, yeah. And then I'm getting there and they're going, they're not going to have him say, the ship out of danger. And then Chris Pine says, the ship out of... And I just went, You actually oh, quoted it. Before it happened. He said it as well. You quoted it. And then they said something different and you applauded them. I applauded them for doing it differently. It's like... <laughs> that one line. And then they had the pane of glass between them and, uh, oh, but no, this is different because Kirk's dying. Yeah, and Spock And then, it, from that point on, it just lost me. With the, the, the teleportation thing as well on yeah. the car. And I was just completely lost from the, that that minute threw me out of the film. And you can just see the writers patting themselves on the back in the writers' room going, the fans will love this! And I'm sat there going, no, 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 no! And I, I, just, well, I lost all interest in the film it, at that point. People in my college did love it, and when I said why, it, it's, it's, it is just, there is bits of it that is just remaking Raffle Khan. They said, yeah, but they, they make it different by switching the characters. That doesn't make it better, though, does it? No. And I, I just lost all interest at that point. And I don't think Zachary Quinto understands Spock. Also, I don't think the writers understand Spock. And I also think it's a huge cheat that if they've got a problem, Spock's got old Spock on speed dial. Yeah. And he can just call old Spock and say, hey, you know, this this can bloke, was he like a big deal? Was he like Ron Burgundy? <laughs> And uh, Spock goes, well, as you know, I have uh, said I cannot tell you anything of my timeline. But here's everything. But here's everything you need to know about Khan, Nooney, and Singh. And you're like, oh, for God's sake. I didn't think he was Khan anyway. No, he wasn't. He didn't need to be that because he was very different as a character. Yeah, he didn't have to be Khan. Yeah. So, no. He was Captain America. He was Benedict Cumberbatch. He was fine. He wasn't Benedict Cumberbatch because he wasn't round going, ah, follow me off the den. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the performances are all pretty good. And, and yeah, um, Simon Pegg was good in it. And I like his little mate. Yeah, I am fond of his little yeah. friend. Oh, get off there! I like him. I like <laughs> his little brother. But no, no. 
Christ, no. Anyway, Sean's email continues. Tangent over with, I'm really looking forward to the 50th anniversary. They're airing it the same time it airs in the UK, and look forward to discussing it on Who True Freaks, an excellent podcast where I've managed to con some of the greatest podcasters around to jibber-jabber about Doctor Who. Oh, and Shag is on the show as well. <laughs> oh, now, come on, Shag's lovely. No one tries to con me. Uh, Sean Engel, that's, thanks very much, Sean. We, we could have been friends, but because you don't like internet, because you like internet, that's I'm afraid, you're off with friends. <laughs> you're off the Christmas card. So you're off the Christmas card, that's quite frank. I'm only kidding, I love Sean. I've got a lot of time for Sean. Uh, we're going to wrap up the presents bit, because we're approaching 90 minutes. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up, though. Uh, a present that wasn't on my wish list, but Angela bought me, because I did love some Conan. Mm-hmm. When we covered... She didn't keep quiet. The Conan... No, they were great. They were fantastic. She bought me volume two of the Savage Sword of Conan, the Dark Horse comics reprints, which they've changed the trade dress on. Have so it? that when I have it at the side of the second one, it's oh, it's not as bad as when they yeah, do it at the Essentials. It's just got a different logo. Uh, it, I've, I've only flicked through it because it looks absolutely fabulous. For the most part, the printing looks brilliant. Something that is occasionally hit and miss in these black and white volumes. That's some nice art. John Buscema and Al- Alfredo Alcala's artwork is magnificent. They seem to be the prime artists in this particular volume. There's one by Gil Kane, but there is also a black and white story in this trade by Neil Adams, entitled Shadows in Zambula. And as we have mentioned, long-term listeners to the show will know, I think Neil Adams is unsurpassed when his artwork is printed in black and white. Yeah. I think he looks absolutely fantastic in black and white. So this publishes Savage Sword of Conan 11 through 24, which I'm really looking forward to. I loved the first... After we did that Conan show, I blitzed through that first phone book, which had sat on my bookshelf for about two years, never read. Yeah. And I absolutely loved it. So you I'm really... Last Christmas, didn't you? I think it was the Christmas before. Oh, okay. So I really am looking forward to that. This one looks thicker than volume one as well. Yeah, it does. So it looks like there's more in that, so I'm looking forward to that. Even though it's a different format. And uh, what have you got there, Michael? Your last couple of presents? Uh, I have the last two Batman Incorporated. Incorporated, Volume 2 hardbacks, which wrap up uh, Grant Morrison's Batman epic. Yes. This wasn't on your wish list. Or your Christmas present. Oh, are you, you going to... Gonna yes, I'm going to tell the story. Moan at me. And I'm not going to moan at you. I'm merely going to point out. All the way through, I was going, so do you, I've, I've been looking at your Christmas list. Do you, do you not want the, the last Grant Morrison <laughs> volumes? Yeah. Oh, what did you say? I, I said I, I would rather wait for the deluxe edition to come out so it matches the rest of my collection rather than the two individual smaller hardbacks. And I... I did a head roll. I did the Magnum head roll because I'd already well, bought them for that, you. That makes sense now because when I said that, Mum did give me some slightly evil, <laughs> somewhat panicky glows. I'd already bought them for you because I thought these will be on his list because I had to pre-order the second one. The, the second, second one didn't second come one. out till the beginning of December, Yeah, that's, that's recent, yeah. So I had to pre-order the second one but I already had the first one. Right. I'd already bought it for you. And he was like, oh, well, I don't well, I want to wait till it comes out in Omnibus so I can have them all together. It's I have the rest of them in deluxe. So in deluxe format. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Those ones All don't right. have. Oh wait, they do have adverts in. Uh, we've got one more email about Doctor Who. Ian McGregor's emailed in. Uh, the subject heading is Silver Age Part 1 and Doctor Who. Also, he's covering some Silver Age as well. Hello. Hello, Ian. I must once again praise your excellent episode on Showcase 4 and Avengers 4. They were interesting, funny, and informative. Thank you very much. However, I must disagree with your choice of Showcase being better than the Avengers. Ooh. Controversial opinion. 
Although I agree that Infantino's art is very slick and ahead of its time, I also find it very stiff. I'm not a big fan of Kirby, but I prefer his kinetic work to Infantino's. This segues into another opinion that I have. Marvel in the Silver Age was better than DC in the Silver Age. Stanley's Marvel stories, though sometimes insane and crazy, were always a lot of fun and they moved pretty fast. Marvel's artists like Kirby, Ditko, the Buscemas, Colin, etc. were great because the artists knew how to make the art vibrant, active and exciting. DC had talented artists too, but their styles were usually very stiff and nothing special, unlike the Marvel artists who were frequently experimenting, i.e. Kirby's photo collages. DC's stories were also less interesting than Marvel's and many times had some gimmick that got old rather quickly. I have a very hard time reading DC Silver Age, while I can easily read Silver Age Marvel. Now, after all that rambling, I ask you, who do you think was better in the Silver Age, DC or Marvel? Ooh, that's quite that's quite a difficult question. Didn't we already wrap the Silver Age up with this? Did we? Did we talk about I this? See, I don't remember. See, no, I don't think we answered it as a general whole. Right. Ultimately, I... I DC. Do you? Yeah. See, I'd have to go with Marvel. Marvel changed comics in the Silver Age. DC started the Silver Age. DC started the Silver Age. So, are you comparing apples to oranges at that point? DC only really started. Yeah, <laughs> DC only really started becoming more socially relevant and doing the stuff that Marvel had been doing in, in the seventies. Yeah. So I think in the Silver Age, it's apples to oranges, really. I think. Okay. I'd always go with Marvel. You'd always go with DC. Yeah. Also, what did you think of the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special? I know Andrew had a lot of reservations about the Hurt 8.5 Nights Doctor, so I'm curious on your opinion. Until next time, Ian McGregor. Well, I did a Who True Freaks on the anniversary that I urge you to go and check out on twotruefreaks.com. Mm-hmm. You can hear us talk about that particular episode for well over an hour, I think, if that, if that floats your particular boat. What did you think of it, Michael? I, I, I really enjoyed it. Good. Good, good, good. All right, then, uh, last present. I've got one more present. I've got, I've got one more as a cup. Yes, well done. <laughs> Can't wait to show my friends. Well, we've got I'm, a story I'm, actually, I'm actually very happy with that. Well, though, we've so. got a story behind that as well. And it's know. Doctor Who related. And it's Doctor Who related, yes. My last one is, there is this big, huge... I mean, I was really quite surprised when I saw this. Angela's mother-in-law asked me what I want for Christmas. That's what she said. No, my mother-in-law is Angela's mum asked me what I want for Christmas and I sent her this link to this book These Are the Voyages the original series of Star Trek Season 1 it is apparently a what's and all telling of each individual episode to differentiate it from other what's and all tellings of the Star Trek story I've read the first 100 pages and so far it's actually pretty riveting stuff if you're interested in television production which I am quite interested but particularly because it's Star Trek the original Star Trek is for me the best of the Star Trek series and probably my one of my all time favourite TV shows if not my all time favourite I've enjoyed the original more than any other yeah the original is just more fun yeah is the bottom line and it's it's great that somebody's actually doing this and being fur a lot of the biographies of Gene Roddenberry will either say the guy was a visionary genius and then the other ones will say the guy was a crook and a thief yeah and this has actually been quite fur to him um, in terms of he's a, he's a visionary crook and thief yes there you go and I'm looking forward to actually getting into the episode the only episode I've actually read is The Cage and I knew an awful lot about the production of The Cage anyway so yeah. there was not really a lot of new stuff in there but I did like the fascinating stuff and this is the salaries yeah William Shatner got paid less than anyone else no no more, much more than anyone else yeah like uh, he, I think he got paid I wish I'd bookmarked the page that's where it's interesting when he's talking about stuff like that. Shatner got paid $10,000 for the pilot episode of Star Trek where no man has gone before. Not the original pilot, The Cage. Yeah. 
uh, comparable to $75,000 in 2013. So that's like quite a low ball figure. There are actors in TV shows on somewhere in the region of 100,000 to 1 million an episode, depending on what the show is. Nimoy got $2,500. Shatner was being paid a lot more money than Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. The other fact I found interesting in what I've read so far, in today's money, the budget for the cage, the original pilot for Star Trek, would be somewhere in the region of $4.5 million just for that original pilot episode. That would be an incredibly expensive pilot, even today. Mm. And it's all little little stuff like that that I find quite interesting. So it's a huge book, and apparently they're doing one for seasons two and three. Well, there is a big one on it. Yes. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I've really been enjoying that. So the only problem with all of this is when am I going to find time to read all of this? you got another year till Christmas? Yeah, I've got to work for a living. <laughs> that really interferes with my life. I've got to go to college and read loads. Yeah, you just don't sleep. <laughs> I like sleep. Sleep gets in the way of a lot of things, you'll notice. That's 12 hours of your day eaten up by doing nothing. I have, I, have, I have frequently said if you if you could do that thing where you only sleep four hours a day, there's so much more you could get done. Yeah. Podcasting. Yeah. For us, uh... Anyway, what's your last present, Michael, before we knock this one on the head? Uh, my last present is a Metal Gear Rising Revengeance coffee mug. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I broke your Doctor Who mug. My, my, my seemingly indestructible Doctor Who mug I've had for years yeah. has survived countless more um, falls and one nuclear war. Yeah. I yeah. broke it. Yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I knocked it off the side of the in the kitchen. I knocked it off the, the sideboard thing. Whatever it's called. <laughs> Worked up. Thank you very much. And it bounced and didn't break. Yeah. And I thought, excellent, good, it's not brave. Phew, what a relief. And then as it came to a rest, it just kind of went, no, and it's broken <laughs> off. <laughs> Genius. Anyway, that's it. That's all we're going to cover this time. Yeah, you're covering your cases. Oh, yeah, i got two iPhone cases. One that's covering Amazing Spider-Man 100. I've that one. One that is the Superman the Movie poster. Mm-hmm. Ah, you'll believe a man can fly. And Angela got me a, a Star Wars coffee mug. That is the Starbucks logo, but it just says Star Wars, it's a picture for Stormtrooper. To, re- to replace the Spider-Man one, I've sabotaged the Spider-Man revenge. one that Michael sabotaged <laughs> in Revenge. We do have a couple more emails, but we're not going to get to them tonight, because obviously we're at one hour forty, and uh, it takes a long time in the editing room when you get past one hour forty, so we're going to leave it there. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we usher in the new era with a celebration of Gumshoe P.I. Slam Bradley. We're looking forward to that episode that we haven't already (laughs) recorded, aren't we, Michael? We are indeed. (laughs) I need to get started writing on the next episode. Yes, and then after that's Marvel Zombies. Yeah. And then after that, thanks to James Hickson, lovely listener James Hickson, who recently got engaged. Congratulations, James. We are covering some EC comics. We are indeed. So that'll be fun for everybody, I like to think. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Hope you all had a very good Christmas and a very good New Year. Bye-bye. Goodbye. is 
Saturn, the devil will find work for idle hands to do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. And we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.